I don't think that we're all called to adopt children into our family, but God has called us all to do something. And so if you look at it this way, if, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to have the compassion of Christ and the love of Jesus in our heart, we should be doing something to minimize these numbers, to minimize the starvation and the preventable diseases and all of the things, right? We have the freedom and the opportunity to do what God has called us to do. He loves these children just as much as he loves me. And now that I know that, I am responsible. We should be blown away by the fact that the God who could do this all by himself asked us to be a part of it. Good morning. Welcome again to New Point Church, <laughs> twice. Um, my name's Emily, and I'm here um, and excited to share a message with you today. Um, Pastor Jordan and his family are on vacation for the next couple of weeks, so we're just praying for a continued time of refreshment for their family um, and some rest as um, they prepare for our next season here at New Point Church. Um, it's been a fun but exhausting week. I will clarify <laughs> that I'm tired. Um, a week of VBS is always like, you know, the highs and the lows. Like, you can do this every day you, you know, pump yourself up. But we were so excited to have over 60 kids registered for VBS. We packed this room, and the kids just had a blast learning about Jesus. And that's one of the things I remember growing up as a kid, going to VBS, having so much fun, um, but also learning about Jesus. And so I hope that they take these moments that we had this past week, and they carry them on for the rest of their life, and they would just know and love Jesus through the things that um, they learn here at church. So we had a missions project with our pantry. So we give out food every week, but we also try to give out diapers and toiletries and those kind of things. So we challenged the kids this week to give out or to collect diapers for our families that come to the pantry, and they collected over 2,400 diapers. So we are excited in the next couple of weeks to be able to give these out to families in need. Um, when they come here, a lot of times those are things that they can't buy with their assistance, and so it's super awesome to be able to hand those things out. So um, I'm sharing a message today on compassion, and I do want to preface the message. It can go one or two of two ways, okay? You can hear this message, and you can feel uneasy. You can feel maybe defensive. You could um, just, like, put up a wall. Or you could look at it with a way for God to open your eyes to the world around us. So um, as I prepare this message, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just incline your ears to hear what God has to say today. Um, and then he would just give you a new understanding of how we can be compassionate to those around us. And I will also say it applies to me as much as it does to any of you. So we all have the opportunity to love more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And he gave such great examples. So um, over the past couple years, I have really learned more about outreach, so I'm excited for my new role that I'm taking on um, through the pantry, so the people that are coming to the doorsteps of this church every week, all the way to Mexico that I went to um, last August, and just really seeing people the way that Jesus would see them. So I've always been somebody willing to help somebody in need, you know, you see somebody on the side of the road, or you're at the grocery store and someone doesn't have enough money to cover their bill or whatever, I'm one, I'm gonna jump in. But 
I think that God has really called us to look for those people that are outcasts, people that have been overlooked, people who feel like they're forgotten, people that feel like maybe they're too far gone for God to help them, that he would just give us eyes to see those people. So today we're going to start with a story from the book of Luke, and it is a dinner party. And if you know anything about me, I love a good dinner party. I love a good gathering. I love to have as many people over to my house as possible at one time. Um, and so I know there's a lot of details that go into place, right? So you have to plan the food, and you have the guest list, and you know who's coming, and usually we have about 10 to 15 more people than we thought were coming, but anyway, you get all prepared. So Simon the Pharisee is hosting a dinner party, a banquet in his home, and he invites Jesus. Now, from Simon's perspective, I can understand you have all these details in place, and so you want it to go as planned. But um, Jesus is invited to this dinner, and he knew that when he went to the home of sinners or even his friends, he knew that he had the opportunity to show God to them and to just be Jesus. But he also knew that the Pharisees needed the word of God more than they realized it. So Simon invites Jesus into his home, and we're going to look at this together in Luke 7, verse 36 through 50. So it will be on the screen if you want to read along. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee had invited, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner." Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the lar- canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer water to wash the dust from my feet. Yet she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So there's a couple things to note about this story. So it was customary in that day for outsiders to hover around during banquets. They wanted to watch the important people, hear the conversation. And since everything was open, they had access to the guests. And this explains how this woman had access to Jesus. She burst in in the middle of the dinner party. And not only was she not invited, Simon didn't even want her there. Jewish rabbis did not speak to women in public. They did not invite them to banquets, and she was definitely a woman with a bad reputation. 
We don't know what conversation she had with Jesus, but one thing is clear, that she had experienced the wonder of his love and forgiveness. And even though everyone around her knew of her sin, she couldn't contain herself. Simon was outraged that this woman had come uninvited, but Jesus took the moment to draw a clear contrast. Simon, the self-righteous leader, had no love in his heart for this woman, and for that matter, Jesus. But the woman who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus only hours before couldn't stop displaying her love for him. Her experience of Jesus lit a fuse that exploded into heartfelt worship and service to the one who loved her unconditionally. This story shows the compassion that Jesus has for others. He was so consumed with the needs of others, and especially those who were outcasts, outliers, people that were sick and diseased. He loved them all. So who are you and I in this story? Are we like Simon, who hear Jesus' message, who um, find fault in his method, and maybe refusing to fully embrace the presence that he offers us? Probably not, although we may know um, some people who are. Maybe we're like the disciples who had kind of lost the um, excitement. They had been in the grind of ministry, and maybe these types of things weren't as exciting to them as they once were. Or are we like the woman whose incredible love of Jesus was so rich and so real that it kept lighting the fuse of praise, of service, of gratitude? Here's another way to think about some of the lessons in this um, story from Luke. What can we not stop doing? Is our default mode to criticize others who are different than us? Is it to be standoffish? Is it to find de- or fault with their character? Or have we been transformed like this woman where our hearts burst with joy and we're excited about the things that Jesus has done for us? Or are we more concerned with our reputations than the heart of the people that we meet? So when you walk into a new situation, we want to soak up the love of Jesus, just like this woman, so we don't need the approval of anyone around us. We only need the approval of Jesus. We dive deep into God's grace and own the room like um, Jesus did when this woman came into Simon's house. We have to take the initiative to walk across the room and um, introduce ourselves to someone, especially somebody that's different than us, or to um, enter into conversation without preconceived agendas, ask great questions, listen like you really care. Um, a while back, when I was collecting our weekly um, donation from Panera for our food pantry, they give us like the day-old stuff every Wednesday, Um, I had been doing it for a couple weeks, and the woman that always gave it to me was not in a good mood, ever. And so she always, you know, was kind of just grumbly when you got there. And so one day I'm like, you know what, I'm going to ask her what her name is. And so I get there, and I'm like, hi, I'm here for the donation. And then I was like, I'm here all the time. Like, I should probably know your name. And she's like, it's Emily. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm Emily too. But for the first time ever, I saw her smile. And I was like, and she was like, thanks for asking me about my day. I hope you have a good one, which she had never said before. So the little thing where I didn't really want anything out of the conversation except for her to maybe not be so grumbly, (laughs) but it gave her the opportunity to smile for a minute and think like, you know what? Someone asked me how my day was. She may go through her whole day taking people's orders, listening to people's demands, and never hear someone say, how are you doing? So those little moments we want to take advantage of so that we can um, be an example of Jesus.
this. So the miracle in this story was extravagant worship. The experiences we have with Jesus should cause our hearts to be filled with gratitude and a new level of worship. When we get close to Jesus, we worship him in a different way. Sometimes we have this idea of Jesus being like this stained glass, you know, picture with the lamb on his shoulders and then he's unapproachable, but that's not who he is. When we read in the Gospels, we see Jesus mixing it up with every kind of person. Mark even starts his account of um, Jesus with him touching a leper. So if that doesn't get your attention, those are the people that no one else wanted to be even in the vicinity of, but yet Jesus touched the leper and healed him. Others may have avoided the outcasts of society, but not Jesus. He moved into the lives of the blind, of the sick, of those who had sinned, of women and children, and he didn't avoid difficult people. He treasured them, and just like he calls us to do the same. And Jesus doesn't ask us to care out of an empty heart. He wants us to experience him and then care out of that. If needy people are threats to our comfort or kind of like, our irritations or annoyances, we need to experience the grace of God more deeply. We don't have to wait till we have it all together before we can step into other people's lives. We just need to be amazed at what God has done in us and through us, and that's enough. Check out this phrase, a culture of compassion begins with a conviction of brokenness. So what we see in the life of Jesus is that the culture of compassion begins with the conviction of brokenness. In the miracle stories of the gospel, we see people who admit, oftentimes in desperation, that they need Jesus. And I can't be who God has called me to be unless I am amazed at the creator of the universe. That he would stoop down into our neighborhoods, into our low places, and he would love us, he would serve us, he would give himself to the point of death. And if we have even the slightest inkling of how much God loves us and his sacrificial love, we love others in a whole new way. If we just stop for a minute and think, oh my goodness, he is so passionate about me. He chases after me. He wants the best for me. He loves me unconditionally. We love other people differently. And that's what Jesus wants. He is passionate about caring for people, and that's every person on this planet. In a book I read a couple years ago called Serve Your City, Dino Rizzo says, the gospel isn't just the minimum requirements for people to go to heaven when they die. The gospel is the power of God to transform us from the inside out, changing our values, our goals, our motives, our relationships. We realize we are all equally lost, hopeless, and helpless without Christ, but we are also all equally loved, forgiven, and accepted in him. Grace shatters and humbles our sense of superiority, and it gives magnificent dignity to those who have felt inferior. So our job is to pour God's grace and compassion into the lives of the people around us. When we took our uh, missions trip back in August, um, one of the places we went was called the Red Zone, and it's like a red light district. So every type of sin or things that you should not be doing happens on the streets here. Most of the people are homeless. Um, They're doing drugs. They're just doing a lot of immoral things, right? But as we go in, they do a little training for the team, and every day, this um, organization called Red Zone, um, they have taken like a place in the strip mall 
filled with all these other things. Um, and they feed a hot meal to these people that are on the streets every day. So you come in, half the team helps with the um, making of the meal and the prep and that kind of thing. And the other half of the team goes out and cleans the streets that are just disgusting, right? But they said in our training a reminder that they want people to be reminded of their God-given dignity. So God already gave them dignity. They're living in a place most likely because of choices they've made that are not the best choices, but God still loves them. God gave them that dignity, and we were there to help remind them of that. So by cleaning up the streets, by making it look presentable, they were helping to remind people, you know what, you're seen, you're loved, um, God loves you no matter what you've done, the experiences that you've had. Um, and it was just so touching to watch people and you look them in the eye and you could say, you know, God loves you. And most of them became emotional at that point, um, just hearing that and hearing that, you know what, no matter where you're at, you have God-given dignity and God loves you and he cares for you. Um, so it's one thing to have compassion and to talk to compa about compassion, and it's another thing to walk it out in our day-to-day. -to -day. So today I want to give you four quick steps that um, are necessary for us to expand our world, to take off our blinders, and to see the way that Jesus would see. So this is all taken directly from the life and ministry of Jesus, and we have so many examples of how he loved others and he showed compassion. Um, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. The sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. So compassion is um, a word used a, a lot throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And this definition says compassion is the desire to act justly with an attitude of kindness and forgiveness with everyone we meet. So the first step that we need to have more compassion, to show more compassion, is we need to see it with our eyes. We read in verse 36 that he saw the crowd. So what we are determines what we see. If you are really into gardening and plants and those kind of things, when you drive through a neighborhood, when you go to a destination, when you travel abroad, you're going to see the gardens. You're going to see the green things, the plants. I'm not one of these people, but, but if you were, um, you would see those things. So what we are, what we take part in, what we make a habit is what we see. Um, Jesus explained this in the great parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest saw the man who was wounded, robbed, and walked by the other side. What did the Levite see? He saw the same thing and went back to Jerusalem and said, We saw someone who was in great need. We saw someone who had bad luck, or maybe they didn't take the right precautions. And maybe they went to the Sanhedrin and said, Do you know what we need? We need a social program. And we need guards that go from one end of Jerusalem to Jericho because this is a dangerous piece of road, right? But the problem was they didn't see the somebody. They didn't see the somebody that needed help, they were thinking about, oh, what can we do to like create a program or um, maybe step-by-step -step instructions on what these people should do so that they don't get robbed on the way. 
um, down the road. But Jesus saw the multitude because he was looking for the human need. So what we are determines what we see. Um, There's a story in John 4 where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And you probably remember that story. The disciples had gone away to buy food and supplies, and they come back and they are troubled. They are troubled because, first of all, a Jewish man did not speak to a woman, particularly an immoral woman, and definitely not a Samaritan woman, so without other people around. And that's all they saw. They saw, like, the rules and regulations, the things they were not supposed to be doing, but they didn't see the somebody. They didn't see the woman who needed the help. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and essentially the same text that we're reading here. Jesus saw that the somebody wasn't just an immoral Samaritan woman, but he saw a woman who needed the hope of eternal life. And we ought to pray that we would see differently, that God would give us new eyes to see people around us. So when we are in our day-to-day, when we're going to the grocery store, when we're stopping to run errands, give us eyes to see the people that need your love, that need an encounter with the Almighty Father. Um, So the first step is we have to see with our eyes. The second step is we need to feel with our hearts. Um, In verse 36, it says, he saw the multitude and felt compassion on them. His heart was tenderized for the needs around him. And he felt that compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And the text says that they felt hopeless and harassed. And he saw them as these helpless sheep. Now, the imagery that is used here is probably referring to a sheep that has been cast down. So a cast down sheep is a sheep that's walking along, decides, you know what? I need a rest. And so decides to turn over, to lay down, turn over on its back, and then it can't get back up. Okay? I never knew this really about sheep, but as a matter of fact, as soon as the oxygen gets cut off, the circulation stops, and sheep can actually die that way because they just get stuck. But the shepherd comes along, he massages the sheep to get the circulation going again. After the circulation gets going, then he helps the sheep stand up, and then he steadies the sheep as he begins to walk on his own. So what a vivid picture of what Jesus does for us. How many times are we, you know, laying down, we can't get up, we don't know what to do next, but we need somebody, the shepherd, we need Jesus to come alongside to get us back up and to steady us on our way. Um, so I want just for a moment to think about the world beyond ourselves. So what kind of world do we live in? Number one, it's a crowded planet, right? There's nearly 8 billion people that are living on the planet. And you get to some countries like India, um, China, and you begin to look at just a population explosion, and it is a crowded planet. It's also a suffering world. People are dying from natural disasters. People are dying from... um, starvation and poverty. Nearly 25,000 people die every day from malnutrition, and 10,000 of those are children. So um, I can say the words, but I can't really get it out of my mind. But it's kind of like if you're not there to see it out of sight, out of mind, we tend to forget about the things that are going on around the world. But imagine for a moment to enter the thoughts of a parent who has a child or a family that's dying of starvation. It's a suffering world. My mom mentioned this book to me right after I came back from Mexico, and I was chattering on and on about all my experiences. And she said, you've got to read this book called Kisses from Katie. And I was like, oh, 
Like, the title doesn't really do anything for me, but I was like, okay, she's told me multiple times, and then eventually she, like, gives me a copy, so that means you have to read the book, right? Um, fantastic book. I have read it twice since then and highly recommend it in a perspective of um, just the things that are going on around the world and how people can have compassion. And it's a story of a high schooler, um, or she starts out as a high schooler. She wants to go to Uganda to do mission work. Her parents are like, no, you need to like follow the traditional American path of, you know, graduate high school, go to college, get a job, and then maybe if you want to do missions work, I mean, jump in at that point. She convinces her parents to let her go to Uganda for one year, and then she promises to come back to do college. Um, but the book is just amazing. I was like rereading it to find one of these quotes, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this book so much. So, kisses from Katie, read it, um, just like my mom said. But she says in this book, there is a stat that says the truth is that 143 um, million orphan children and the 11 million who starve to death or die from preventable diseases, and the 8.5 million who work as child slaves, prostitutes, or under other horrific conditions, and the 2.3 who live with HIV add up to 164.8 million needy children. At one glance, that looks like a big number. But 2.1 billion people on this earth claim to be Christians. The truth is that if only 8% of Christians would care for one needy child, there would be no statistics left. Right? <laughs> Mind-blowing. Like, I don't think that we're all called to adopt children into our family, but God has called us all to do something. And so if you look at it this way, if, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to have the compassion of Christ and the love of Jesus in our heart, we should be doing something to minimize these numbers, to minimize the starvation and the preventable diseases and all of the things, right? We have the freedom and the opportunity to do what God has called us to do. He loves these children just as much as he loves me, and now that I know that, I am responsible. We should be blown away by the fact that the God who could do this all by himself asked us to be a part of it. So, of course, it's fine to talk about these large statistics in the distant world, right? Um, because those things matter so much. But what about our world? What about where we're standing at right now? What about your neighbors and your friends? Where has God planted you at? So, we must have compassion. Jesus saw the crowd, and the Bible said he was filled with compassion, so we must see it with our eyes, we must feel it with our heart, and we must go with our feet. Jesus changes the figure of speech in verse 37, and he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. So first of all, the harvest is God's. It belongs to him. He is the one that sends out laborers into his harvest. Growing up in Iowa, around farms or the Midwest, you know probably some basic facts about harvest, right? Um, we know that there's only a window of time where you can reap the harvest. And if you miss that window, you can't recoup. So you can't say, you know what, next month I'm going to go back and harvest those crops. If they're ready, they're ready. If you wait, they rot. Um, so we can't say we're going to come back next year, next month, 
Um, when it's gone, it's gone. So today we see that there are multiple or multitudes that are here today that will be gone tomorrow. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. And when he says that, we should pray to the Lord of the harvest to send it out. He's saying, send out laborers. So this is a Greek word that is ekbalo, and it means to throw out. And it's used oftentimes in the New Testament um, when they're talking about Jesus casting out demons. But it's also the same meaning here, where to throw out, to cast out, to send out the laborers. So when Jesus spoke the word, you know the Bible says that the demons ekbalo, they cast him out. Jesus uses the same expression um, when he says we should pray to the Lord of the harvest. When you go and you pray, you get behind enemy lines. We can go to any country. We can stand with missionaries. We can go with other Christians because God is not limited by our human borders um, and all the rest. But keep in mind that we should be praying for the world out there, but we should also be praying for New Point Church. We should be praying for Urbandale, Iowa. We should be praying for Des Moines, the city of Des Moines, um, that they would send out, or that we would send out laborers. And I pray that from this congregation, we might raise up a people who is willing to go out because they sense the call of God on their life. They sense um, the call for God to use them to touch the world. So he could do this all on his own, but yet he asks us to be a part of it. Um, So let us go out into the neighborhoods. Let us go out into the areas of the city that are in need. And what we need to do is we need to see the larger world. He's saying we have to go with our feet, and we actually do. But when we read in Scripture, it says Jesus was moved with compassion, and it was a deep, heartfelt um, emotion that led to action. Jesus went around to all of the cities and the villages, and he was teaching, and he was praying for people and healing every sickness and disease. And this was not just some, like, vain theology that he was telling people, like, you should do these things. He actually went out himself. He got deeply, practically, and intimately involved with the people and the lives around him. Um, So... We are seeing it with our eyes, we are feeling it with our heart, we are going with our feet, and then we must speak with our mouth. Um, Not only did Jesus heal, he also taught and preached. And he could not work alone, he needed others to help him. He asked his disciples to pray and would provide the needed workers. And it wasn't long before his team of disciples, his people, were out there preaching and ministering and healing. In the same way, when we pray as he commanded, we will see what he saw, feel what he felt, and do what he did. God will multiply our lives just as we share in the harvest, the great harvest that is already ripe. Jesus has given us authority to do more than he even did, and we can declare that with our mouth. So um, it kind of goes with our message from last week about mindsets, like our mindset and what are we speaking? What are we saying out loud? What are we um, keeping in our minds? That is what we should be speaking. So our words should be speaking life to those around us, and our words should be declaring freedom and healing in their lives. Um, We can call forth people to come to this church. We can call forth people in our workplace, in our day-to-day life. We want to see people who are abandoned, who feel left out, who are brokenhearted and outcast, and we want to show them the hope and the love of Jesus. 
Um, that's something we've learned in the food pantry over the past couple years. So three year, a little over three years ago, we started the New Point Pantry thinking it was just something we were doing during COVID. And um, I never thought that would be on my resume, you know, leading a food pantry, but I've learned many things over the years. And it's just been a blessing to see the people that come to the doorstep of our church every week. Um, there is a group of people that is an amazing team that helps to prep the food and helps to distribute the food and helps to pray with the people. And we're going to share a little bit more about that on our fifth Sunday um, as part of our outreach. But the thing that is interesting to me is the people that come now, and maybe they don't need food as much as they once did, but they come because they come for the relationships. They want to talk to Lori or Pastor Tony or (laughs) Steph. They want to... um, see the people, right? So we have this gentleman, Jerry, that comes, and he's, he always calls us his ladies, but, um, but he literally just comes to talk to us, and he brings his dog, and he just wants the relationship. He wants someone to speak to him and encourage him and pray with him when he has things that are going up or down, and it's just been really cool to see how the things that we say, the encouragement. Um, I always pray over our team every Wednesday and just pray that we would have God encounters, that we would have those moments where people can see the hope of Jesus within us. They can see um, how Jesus can transform their life. But most of all, we speak it. We speak positively to them. We try to turn their conversation from the woe is me, there's a lot of things going on that um, all around their worlds. And a lot of them are very serious, but how can we encourage them? How can we point them to the love of Jesus instead of just the things um, that are getting them down? So we speak truth and encouragement and want them to know that they are loved by the Heavenly Father. It's so easy to get caught up in judging people. And trust me, even at the food pantry, we've had times where it was like, really? You really need food? Uh, But it's like a reminder to us that we can't judge people's situations. We can't say that, oh, you bought a nice car, and why do you need food? Well, people's situations changed, but it has just brought us so many times back to, you know what, Jesus loves this person, and whether or not they're making the choices that they should be, we love them, and we want to give back to them. Um, But it's easy to get caught up in being negative and why people should be in a different situation than they are. But guess what? God calls us to meet them there. He doesn't call us to say what their situation should or shouldn't be. He calls us to have compassion, to have that gut level compassion where we are loving people, where we're encouraging them. And it's not always easy. Compassion is probably one of the hardest things um, to just get in the mode of doing all of the time right? But it's one of those things, habits. You got to train yourself to open your eyes, to feel with your heart, to go with your feet, and then to speak with your mouth. Um, So the miracle here is the harvest. Others have planted, and we have prayed, and we have been called into action, and he will multiply those opportunities for us to love others. So my prayer is always, like, wake up in the morning. God, what do you have for me today? What can I do to help people today? Who can I be aware of around me? Show me with my eyes. Let me feel it with my heart. Put my feet to action and let me speak your love and truth to those around us. Oftentimes, everyone is willing to pray, but few are willing to act. 
So how many times on, um, say, like social media, you know, somebody's asking for prayers and you're like, yeah, praying for you, or, but how often are we putting our feet into action? So we have to do more than just say that we're going to pray. We must be the ones to act. Jesus didn't just talk. His heart was stirred at what he saw, and he had a consuming desire to change things. He wanted to change things. The feelings of pity and sympathy moved him to action. I have a little sign at my house that says, um, when you have more than you need, build a bigger table, right? So how many of us are in that situation where, you know what, we have more than we need, build a bigger table, have a bigger dinner party, which I'm all for, but maybe that's not your thing, but there's something you can do, right? There's a way that you can build a bigger table. There's a way that you can help others with the abundance that so many of us have. And then when we declare with our mouth, this is a declaration that I say almost every day that says, I consistently bring God encounters to others. I powerfully influence my surroundings with God's presence and the substance of God's love and peace overwhelms people everywhere I go. Think if that was our thought every day, that God's love and his peace is pouring out of us. It is overwhelming people everywhere we go. We bring his presence into the dark places, and we can powerfully influence our surroundings and the people that we come in contact with. Um, So I have a story to share, and it's kind of longer, um, and we are probably going to end early, so I feel like I get bonus points, right, <laughs> after this time. But we're going to sing again at the end, but don't tell Pastor Jordan. Um, but um, I, I think I said last time, you know, like if you end early, then they'll ask you back. So we'll see if that happens. But um, So I read a book recently called Holy Moments. And another thing about me is I love books. I constantly am ordering books, reading books, collecting books. Um, The other day I was at lunch with a friend and I think I maybe ordered two books so we were there in our conversation, put another one in my Amazon cart. Um, And I just love to read. I love to um, gain knowledge from that. And so a friend of mine who pastors a church down the road um, gave me a book called Holy Moments by Matthew Kelly. And this book shares the holy moments Um, in our day-to-day life and displays how they show the goodness of God. So it's just a way to quick little read and, um, but it starts with a story about monks. And um, I actually told my son the other day, he's driving me to Iowa City and he's a permit driver now. So I just feel like I can work in the front seat while he's driving. But I asked, I was like, can I read the story to you? And he was like, not really. And then he thought I was sharing a story about monkeys, not monks, but it's two different things. <laughs> um, so I'm going to paraphrase this story, but I just want you to take and focus just for a couple minutes on what this story is saying. And I truly believe that it will change your perspective. So um, how many times do we just need our eyes to be open? I remember when I read this story for the first time, um, I like ran in to tell Heidi, who's in the office now, so it's super exciting. Um, I was like, you've got to read this part. And she was also amazed. But um, So it's going to take a couple minutes, but trust me, it's a good one at the end, okay? Um, And I did paraphrase it because it was like 15 minutes, so it's only like five. (laughs) Okay, so once upon a time, there was a monastery deep in the forest. It was full of monks. They were filled with joy, and that joy was contagious. People traveled from far and wide to visit their monastery. 
As they came to visit, they would come looking for answers to their questions. What do I do with my life? Am I wasting my one short life? Where do I find meaning? How do I get the most out of life? As time passed, life at the monastery changed. It was gradual at first. A couple monks became cranky. They closed their heart to God and to each other. Some became jealous. Some were young and handsome and more popular with the visitors, and others were older. They began to argue about things of no worth, and gossip crept into the monastery. Little by little, the visitors noticed a change. The monks were losing their joy. They weren't as kind to each other and over time became impatient with the visitors. As the seasons came and went, there were fewer visitors until one day they stopped coming altogether. The abbot rose each morning an hour before his brother monks and sat in the chapel asking God, give me wisdom necessary to revitalize the monastery. He felt like he had tried everything For hundreds of years, people had come longing for a glimpse of God, and the monastery had thrived. What had he done? What had he done wrong? The gap between his faith and his life widened. On the first day of spring, the abbot announced at breakfast that he was leaving the monastery to make a journey. He was going to visit the hermit in the mountains to seek his counsel on the situation at the monastery. He lived in the mountains about 30 miles north. People traveled to seek his wisdom. The hermit and the abbot had been childhood friends, but the other monks did not know this. When asked when he would return, the abbot said, three days. One of the brothers asked, who's in charge while you're gone? To which he replied, I'll let you decide among yourselves. His words still hung in the air when the arguing broke out. There would have been a time when the other monks would have been concerned about him making a journey, but they were no longer concerned with each other, only themselves the abbot began his journey towards the mountains. In the beginning of his journey, his heart was anxious, but with each passing step, with each passing mile, he became aware of the rising hope in his heart. He made camp overnight and he began to rest. His heart was racing, but he was not afraid. He did not fear death. He feared the torture of life without meaning. The following morning, he arrived at the hermit's cave. The hermit had been waiting for him. But before he could ask a question, the hermit said, I have something to show you. The men walked about 15 minutes through the forest to a clearing and saw a breathtaking lake. They sat in silence for over an hour, and the abbot felt a deep peace rising in his soul. The lake was clear and still, and the surface like glass. The hermit began to speak. A still pond reflects the sun perfectly. God is the sun. You are the lake. Your soul is still and clear. When your soul is still and clear, you reflect the truth, the beauty, and the goodness of God to everyone you encounter. As the day goes on, the wind will pick up and the lake will be filled with ripples and you'll barely be able to see the sun's reflection in the water. Later that day, the abbot described what had happened over the past several years at the monastery to which the hermit said, what question have you come here to ask? The abbot replied, what wisdom do you have for us? How do we rejuvenate the monastery and how can we best serve the people who come to visit? That's three questions, the hermit replied with a smile. He said, I will answer your three questions with one answer. Go back and tell the brothers, the Messiah is among you. The Messiah is among us. What could that possibly mean? He left and walked down slowly down the mountains, and the full meaning of the hermit's words took root deep in his soul. 
When the abbot had not returned after five days, the brother monks began discussing what might have befallen him. But that afternoon, they saw a figure approaching. It was the abbot. Following his welcome home, he asked everyone to gather in the chapel. He was radiant and seemed so alive. He told the other monks of his journey and shared the questions that he had asked the hermit. He said the hermit's reply was, go back and tell the brothers, the Messiah is among you. The monks gasped and were astonished. From that moment on, they began to look at each other differently. They thought differently. They began to treat each other differently, and they wondered who was the Messiah among them. As time passed, the abbot noticed little things, a new spirit of cooperation. They praised and encouraged each other. Compassion and forgiveness returned to their hearts, and they were kind to each other. These little things, these holy moments, breathed new life into the community. And then one day it happened. The visitors returned. At first, it was just one or two, and then they began to bring their friends. Everyone noticed that the monks were overflowing with joy. In a few short years, the monastery had been transformed from the brink of collapse to thriving like never before. One day, the old monk, the abbot, was sitting looking gratefully towards the mountains. When a woman approached, she sat down and asked, What happened here? This place has been completely transformed. The monk beamed with a warm smile and said, The place is exactly the same, but the monks have changed. She asked, How did it happen? And he said, we started living as if the Messiah was among us. The miracle here is being a reflection of the Messiah. So as I close today, there's a verse from Micah 6, 8 in the message version, and it says, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. So my question today is what if we started living as if the Messiah was among us? If every person that we come in contact with, we remember the compassion of Jesus. Remember that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It changes our perspective. It changes how we think, how we speak, how we treat each other. I mean, sometimes we even need this probably in our own homes, right? <laughs> like um, compassion to flow from our hearts, from our words, from our actions. But how can we change what we're looking at? How can we see what God sees? Feel it deep in our heart where it moves us to action, where it moves our feet to what God has called us to do. Recently, um, I was in a Bible study. Well, at the beginning of the day, the accounting guy we have here comes in, and he's like, how you doing? Is everything going on? And I was like, whew, it's a lot. And he's like, well, his friend Luke says, um, always says, how do you eat an elephant? And then the response is one bite at a time, right? So later in Bible study, someone else brings up the same thing. I've never even heard this quote before, but here I am two times in a day. I feel like God was speaking to me in this moment. But this is like the compassion, right? We can't do everything. We can't change the world with a snap of our fingers, but we can, one bite at a time, make a difference in somebody else's life. And we can be the miracle. We can be the reflection of the Messiah, where it's that still, clear lake, and we're reflecting who God is to us. Why don't you go ahead and stand?
thank you for allowing me to share this morning. It's been my pleasure um, and excited for what God has for the future of New Point. Um, it was bittersweet as I um, led my last VBS and closed out my season of children's ministry, um, but excited for what God is doing, excited for what God has called this church to do. So today I want to pray over you and just pray that we would have the eyes to see Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the call on each and every life in this place. We thank you that you have given us purpose and you have asked us to partner with you to walk out this calling. Help us to see those who are outcasts, those who are outliers, those who do not have what they need and help us to move with compassion. We can't do it on our own. We need the awareness of the Holy Spirit to be stirred up inside of us so much that it lights a fuse and we live with extravagant worship that flows from one person to the next. Thank you that we live in the overflow as we get closer to you, as we have more experiences with you, Father God, that we would be able to see those things in people around us, see what people need, that we would just feel it in our hearts. But Father God, most importantly, that we would move to action I thank you for the opportunities that you place in front of us every day, the God encounters to speak life, to speak encouragement, to speak Jesus to people around us. Give us the time and the space in our day where we are willing to be interrupted by the Holy Spirit to take those nudges from you and follow through with them and show someone love. Father God, if you are calling us to grand things like adopting a child or going to a foreign mission field, Father God, I thank you that the stirring in our heart would move us to action. And if you're calling us to just meet with people here where we are, I thank you for the same thing. I thank you for a heart that is stirred and moved towards compassion, that we would see the miracles and the testimonies, and those testimonies would flow forth in our lives and the people around us. Thank you for this church and this heart to serve and their heart for compassion and missions and giving back. Thank you for creativity on new ways to just touch people and to minister to them. God, we want to become more like you. We want to see the way you see. In Jesus' name, amen.